my friends, it is great to be here with you today. I'm going to, before I get into the sermon aspect, uh, I just want to share a little bit more about my heart. I want to share a little bit more about why I'm here today, why I have decided to give my life in partnership with Jesus in seeing the world reconciled to him. And to be sure, we're going to be talking about part of that today. I'm going to be talking about one of my conversion moments, if you will. But I want to talk a little bit more about about the, the hope that I have and one of the reasons why I want to be a pastor. So I grew up in the church. I grew up singing the songs, knowing the verses. I grew up with all that stuff. But then one day, instead of just going to church, I met Jesus. And it was totally different. Having an actual relationship with Jesus changed my life. I began to be transformed from the inside out. I began to have access to joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit in a way that I had never experienced before. And I realized when I truly began to connect to the vine, as we talked about two weeks ago, when I truly began to do that and meet with him, I was just like, everyone needs to know this is what's available to them. I want to spend my life telling people about this. I began to do ministry, and I began to see Jesus moving in people's lives, seeing him do what only he could do. And I just, I just knew this was for me. This was the path. I wanted to partner with Jesus. I wanted to see him do in people's lives things that I could never take credit for. And so I, I went to school. I got a job at Living Hope Church here in town as a youth pastor. And, and then this, I, I became uh, aware of this, and, and the Lord laid Auburn on my heart. Now, people have asked me, so why Auburn? What do you like about Auburn? I like a lot of things about Auburn. I, I like the belief structure that's here. I like that this is very much a community-focused church, that it's not about the sage on the stage. It's not about, about the guy who positions himself here and, and tells. That's not what it's about. It's about the community. We are better and we are stronger when we come together as one. Right? When we are one body coming together. And I, I love that about Auburn. I love that we've shared at the Lord's table. Right? And we share what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in our hearts, what he's doing in our community. I, I love that aspect. I, I am so very excited about so many aspects. And just to... Just to let you know, I have a heart for worship. I have a heart for prayer. I, I would love to... I believe you guys used to do prayer meetings before the service. I would love to start those up again an hour before the service. Even if it's just me and my wife, <laughs> we'll be here praying for God to come and do what only he can do in here. Having worship nights, I'd love to have things like that. Having a, an even greater impact on the community around us. Really having an a, a focus on discipleship. I mean, there are two things, and some people, sometimes we think that they're different. Um, there's outreach or evangelism, and then there's discipleship. Now, discipleship is so, 
so huge. It's inviting people into our lives. It's inviting people into our homes and just sharing, sharing a meal together, sharing our hearts together, our feelings, feeling accepted and loved and known. That happens best. So we grow in rows, for sure. This is an Andy Stanley. We grow in rows, right? We grow like this. We, we learn things, but we grow far more in circles than in rows. And when we're in those circles, those small groups of six to eight people, we really see spiritual growth. And so that's something that I'm very, very passionate about. And, and I think I, I mentioned this briefly, and Brent mentioned this last week, testimony. Testimony is huge. To me, I would love to see church be this celebration, this party, if you will, about what did Jesus do this week? What did Jesus do in our lives? What did Jesus do in our communities? What did he do when we opened up the word? And just sharing our testimonies, our words. Do you know what the word testimony means? It means to do it again. And so Brent talked about that last week, right? It's God is our help and then this idea of testimony being that he can do it again. So when we are challenged in our faith, that is an opportunity for other people to grow into theirs when we share our story. So this is a little bit about me. Again, if you have any questions, if you want to test me on theology, or if you want to see what, what I'm about, what I'm interested in, what my family's in, how I can serve you, how I can serve this community here at Auburn. Please find me after the service and, and talk. I would be very happy to do so. So let's pray and then we'll get into the message. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you have not left us. That you have come to us, that you are our help. God, as we sing the story about in Christ alone, I'm just so struck by the here in the death of Christ I live, and that it is because of the death of Christ that I am able to live to live a new life, to truly experience freedom, to truly experience you while here in the land of the living. It is by the death of Christ that we live. Oh God, the gratitude that we feel because of this. God, I pray that you open up my heart and my eyes. God, I pray that you open up our hearts and our eyes to the message that you have for us today. Thank you, God, that your word is alive. And God, I pray that it comes alive within us today. Thank you, Lord. Have you ever felt like you know better? Have you ever felt like you see someone doing this thing you just you know that they're doing it wrong, so you have to go and instruct them or help them. When Chantel and I were first married, we moved to BC, and I got a job doing landscape maintenance. And so we're we're in early spring here, 
And I remember it really clearly because it was such a bizarre idea. So I went to a bank, and they had this little hedgerow, okay? It was a, it was a short little shrubby hedgerow. And my boss told me to do the most ridiculous thing. He told me to mow it. Like, not trim it, just to get the lawnmower, jack the wheels up as high as it would go, and then mow this hedge. That's a wild idea. That's not even trimming. That's just like butchering it. So uh, who am I to argue? So I, I just did it. But like years previous, the, <laughs> the bank manager came rushing out and started arguing my boss. He's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You're ruining my bushes. And so here you have this financial expert telling a landscape maintenance expert about landscape maintenance. So apparently, you just you trim them right down in the spring, and then they grow up beautifully and perfectly as the year progresses, and you have to do that every year. Who knew? Not the bank manager. But you see, my boss had the foresight. He had the bigger picture in mind, and he was able to live into that. Uh, an example that makes me look a little bit dorky is <laughs> I was learning Dutch a couple years ago. And I, st I still know a little bit of Dutch, some conversational Dutch, but I, I, never, I never made it. I'm not fluent. And I was talking with my grandpa, and I actually, I can't believe I did this, I actually debated him on either the meaning of a word or the pronunciation of a word in Dutch. Now, my grandpa was born in Netherlands. He grew up there. He knows the language perfectly, but I actually argued him on the pronunciation of a Dutch word. My grandpa was great about it. He just smiled. <laughs> he just smiled with that knowing smile of, what is this kid? Peter did something similar, didn't he? In, in Mark 8, there's this beautiful story. There's this beautiful moment where Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Okay, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And, and so that's great. Peter is now, you know, he now feels like he's pretty secure. He knows what he's talking about. He's got some authority, right? Now Jesus goes on to share that he's going to be handed over to the religious leaders. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to die, and he's going to rise again. Since Peter's on a roll, he takes this opportunity to take the Lord aside. He actually takes the Lord aside and rebukes him. So he, okay. You have Peter, <laughs> just this guy, and he takes the Lord of all creation. Now, remember, he just acknowledged that he was the Lord, that he was the Messiah, takes him aside and rebukes him, says, I don't think that's the right move. I don't think it's the call for you to go and die. It's a serious thing, though. Jesus himself was... He was hesitant. He was scared. He, he knew what was coming his way. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see this in Matthew 26. He says, Lord, if it is possible, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. It was, it was very overwhelming. And if there was any other way, Jesus even, he, he basically asked this, if there is any other way, Lord, is there any other way? Can you make it happen? We are in a series called Let Me Remind You. And today, let me remind you that the death of Christ 
was absolutely necessary. It was absolutely necessary. There was no other way. There is no plan B. It was absolutely necessary that Jesus had to die on the cross. And so God actually transforms Jesus' heart while he's praying. And during his time in the prayer, he, he understands that it is his cup to drink. You see this in John. And Peter cuts off the high priest's servant's ear, right? And Jesus says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So you can see his heart has changed in this time. So as I said, last week Brent was talking about help and how God is our help. Today we're going to be focusing in on a very specific aspect of that. He is our help for salvation. God is our help. He is our only hope for salvation. And so... I am really excited to share Romans 3 today. Why am I so excited to share it? Because I know, (laughs) I have first-hand experience that it can change your life. I am totally convinced that this can change the way that you live. I know because it changed the way I live. It changed my life. I said this was one of my one of my conversion moments of really changing the trajectory of my life. Barry, it's kind of echoey. Is there anything I can do about that? Do you want me to like, move the mic closer? Or is there... Just... Is this... It's a little better. It's still... Okay. It's okay. So, in Romans 3, we have both bad news and good news. And while I don't like to report bad news, it is essential that we understand the bad news before we get into the good news. So, I'm going to start in verse 9. And in verse 9, we begin to make a conclusion. And, and this is to see, we're, we're going to be answering some questions in this text. One of them is, what if I live a good life? How many of you have heard this uh, question posed to us as Christians before? Like, I've heard the monk example, right? What about a monk who tries to live the best life that they can? Right? They, they try to never sin. They try their very best at that. What about them? Could they go to heaven because they never sinned? We're going to be looking at, at questions like that. So, in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike, alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We're painting a picture here, right? In almost every category we can consider, in some way, we fall short. Whether it's by an inch or a mile, we fall short. It's a mountain that we cannot climb. 
It's being dropped in the middle of the ocean, as Paul talked about a couple uh, weeks or months ago. And no matter how good of a swimmer you are, you're not going to be able to make it. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Let me read that again. No one will be declared righteous in his sight, in God's sight, by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sins. So those who are trying to live the best life that they can, and, and, and that includes me and that very well may include you, it probably does, all of us are trying to live the best life that we can, right? Are we ever going to be good enough just by trying to live the best life that we can? No, no, we can't. I love that this chapter doesn't end there, though. Aren't you guys glad? The first time I read this through, I got to that point, and I was just, like, crestfallen. I was so, like, saddened by the reality of the human condition. And then I read two of my favorite words to see together in the Bible. But now. You see, the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end in despair. Paul says, but now. Things were this way. Things were hopeless. But now. A new way has been given. This is a stop and turn moment. We were headed toward destruction, but now it's a stop and turn. We're heading a different way. But now. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So this is a righteousness that comes from God apart from the law. What does that mean? That means that this is a righteousness that comes from God not by anything that we can earn, not by anything that we can do. This is a gift. This is a gift from God. It is a gift of righteousness and I'd love to explore more about what righteousness means. But in short, righteousness is right standing before God and right living amongst others. So it's right standing before God and right living before others. It is righteousness. And it is not our righteousness. It is Christ's. It is Christ's righteousness that we gain access to. So then we come to Romans 3.23. I think a lot of us have read this verse before. I think a lot of us have heard this verse quoted. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a good reminder. It's a powerful reminder. I have, again, I'd heard it many times, and so the first time I'm reading Romans... And I read this, I'm just like, yeah, you don't have to tell me. It's this, it was this, almost this feeling 
of defeat. So that verse might be over. But guys, that sentence, that very sentence isn't over. We cannot share Romans 3.23 without sharing Romans 3.24. There is a comma. There is a comma there. This sentence isn't over. The story isn't over. There's a comma. This comma is so very exciting. I, know, I owe so much of the joy that is in my heart to this comma. <laughs> a little story. I, I, I said I, the first time I read it. And the reason I have this so vividly in my mind is because it was such a significant moment for me. Several years ago, Chantel and I decided that we were going to read through the Bible, and I was going to do this in a chronological way. So I read through the Bible doing the chronological plan. I was somewhere in Ezekiel or Isaiah, and, and, and I was all caught up. So I'm working with my dad at the time, and I was doing landscaping. And so I was in the dump truck this day, and what I would do, this was, this was so awesome, is while I was being loaded up in the dump truck, I would read the Bible. And then when I got to drop the load, I would listen to Christian radio. It was really great. And so I was like, well, I've never really read Romans, so why don't I try reading Romans? So I started reading Romans, and like I say, like Romans 1, great. Romans 2, kind of sad. Romans 3, it's just like it kept bringing me down and down and down. And then I... Like I said, I got to Romans 3.23, and I was like, yeah, I'll sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then when I read the verse that came next, I experienced the glory of God in a way that I have never experienced him before or since. It was as if God were sitting in the truck next to me, and, and, and I just began to weep because I understood a truth of God for the first time in a totally new way. The Word of God came alive to me in a way that it never had before, and I understood that this was a truth that needed to be shared. As, as I'm sitting here experiencing the glory of God and crying, the excavator button horn beeps, I could snap back to reality. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm at work. So I had to drive the, the truck out, and now I turn on Christian radio. And the pastor says, in today's passage, we're going to be looking at Romans 3, 23 and 24. And I just knew that God really wanted me to understand these two verses and to share these verses. What does it say? What does Romans 3.24 say? I've seen a whole lot of you looking down at your Bibles, just eager to see what it says. I love that. So all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You know what the best thing about these verses are? I don't even need to preach them. They just preach themselves. We're justified freely. It's not something God does grudgingly. He justifies people freely. He justifies them eagerly. He makes them right in his sight. 
because he is so good and so loving. And this is a gift of grace. It is a gift of redemption that is offered to us. Verses 25 and 26, God presented him, being Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. This is a gift that we gain access to when we have faith in the blood of Jesus, when we have faith that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot purify the environment or the effects of sin in our lives and in the world around us. But when we have faith in his blood, when we have faith in his circumstance, uh, sacrifice to make us right and to change the environment around us, something happens. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now, a lot of theologians take this to mean that uh, he's talking about people in the Old Testament. So we sometimes wonder that, right? What about the people who died before Christ? What happens to them? Well, they are judged through the blood of Christ because God left their sins unpunished until after that. He did it to demonstrate his, verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That that line to me also stands out. God is a just God. He is very just. Things have to be set right, but he is also the one who sets things right. To illustrate this, I'm going to summarize a wonderful book. This is a book written by a theologian, R.C. Sproul. R.C. was asked several years ago, what is the most important or significant book that you've written? He said, I don't know, but I think it might be The Priest with Dirty Clothes. It's a children's book that he wrote. And so I've read it several times, and I don't think anything I've read exemplifies this passage like this book. So the bookstore centers around a young man named Jonathan, and Jonathan's ambition was to be a priest. And so, eventually, he gets nominated or elected. He, be, he becomes a priest, and they give him this set of clothes. And they give him an assignment. His first sermon that he gets to preach is in front of the king. That's, that's quite the assignment. So, on his way there, it's a stormy day. And he's riding on his horse, but it's a little bit slippy, slippery, too. And so he falls off of his horse, and he lands in a puddle, getting himself totally, totally drenched, totally muddy, totally dirtied. He, he tries to wash off the best that he can in the rain, but the, the mud is staining, and it's not coming off. His heart is broken, but what, what are his options? He just, he has to go forward. He has to try to go to the king. So... He goes to the king, he stands before the king with fear and trepidation, knowing that he's in no fit state to be before the king. When malice comes out, malice is the the court magician. Malice is also the accuser, and he points a finger at Jonathan and says, you have no right to stand before the king in this condition. Doesn't he know it? 
Jonathan can just stand there. Now the rest of the court begins to whisper, and suddenly they start getting a little upset about it. The king intervenes, and he asks, well, why have you? Why have you shown up like this today? So he explains the situation, and the king is sympathetic, but he's also just, and he can't allow him to stand in his presence in this condition. So he sends him away and says, if you can come back next week, but cleaned up, then you may preach before me. So Jonathan gets to work, and he tries his very best. He tries his very best to clean his robes, his dirty, soiled, stained robes, but he can't. He, he couldn't save himself. So he went to an expert. He went to a fuller to see if the fuller could, could clean. He said, okay, come back tomorrow. He came back the next day. The fuller said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't clean it out. So he goes to a bishop, the bishop who gave him the robes in the first place and asks if he can get a new set. But he can't. You're only allowed one set. <sighs> Is there anything I can do? So, actually, I know of the prince. There's a great prince. Maybe, maybe he could help you. So Jonathan goes and sees about this great prince. Tells him about his trouble, about the situation that he's in. And the prince says, I can help you. I, I, I will deal with your dirty robes. Show up next week when you're supposed to show up, and, and, and I will deal with your clothes. Jonathan's naturally skept, uh, skeptical and afraid, and so he voices that, and I love it. The prince replies, trust me, I always keep good on my promises. So, sure enough, the morning comes, and Jonathan's feeling excited, but also quite apprehensive. He's quite nervous. And so he goes, and he stands before the king. Sure enough, Malice says, may bad things happen to you because you're standing before the king in these dirty robes. Again, Jonathan can't say anything. When suddenly, from the back, walks in the prince, carrying a gift, carrying a gift in his hands. What the prince is holding is his own royal robes. And so he comes forth to Jonathan, and he, sa he says, all right, I've come, to, I've come to reconcile this. And what he does is he invites Jonathan to switch clothes with him. It's an exchange. He gives Jonathan his royal robes, his royal robes. He gives them to him freely, and he offers to take Jonathan's dirtied, stained, muddied robes upon himself. And he tells Jonathan, no matter what you do, you can't dirty my robes. They will not stain. They will not blemish. Well, Jonathan goes on to preach the best sermon that he's ever preached in his life. And he goes on to preach about this prince the rest of his life. But he asks the prince, he says, thank you so much. Like, what do you want me to do for you? And the prince says, well, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. And so Jonathan says, well, yeah, 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 I'll do them. I will prove to you that I am worthy to wear these robes. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. You have to trust in my worth, and that's what makes you wear these robes. I love this story. It, it ties so well to Romans, Romans 3 here. No matter what we do, we can't save ourselves. This, this is why Jesus had to die, because we can't save ourselves. As hard as we try, no matter what we do, we cannot stand before the king. We have been dirtied, we have been soiled. Whether it's things that we've done or things that have happened to us in our lives, the bar of expectation is something that we cannot, we cannot attain on our own. Nor can we go to any expert. We can't go to some person whether it's a psychologist or a pastor or whoever, and have them save us. We can't be made right by human means. This is the work of Jesus' blood. We also are invited to trust the prince. We're invited to trust Jesus. It's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? To trust in his righteousness, to trust in his right standing. But to trust in him. Because the way that he clothes us is that he clothes our heart. And we get to remember. This is the challenge for us today. Our challenge is to remind ourselves that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, that he clothes our heart, that when God sees us, he doesn't see us the way we see us. He sees us through the blood of Christ. He sees that our heart has been made righteous by Christ. That's how God sees you. And if that's how God sees you, that's the truth. So remind yourself, remind yourself of the truth that God has set you right, that God has set you right before, before him. He is just, he has a very high bar of expectation, but he is the one who justifies as well. It is a gift. It is a gift of righteousness that he gives freely. Remember, all are justified freely. Remember, remember that there is life on the other side of that comma. Now, maybe you're here today and you haven't really entered into that life just yet. And if that's you today and if God is stirring in your heart, whether you've accepted Christ into your life or not, I invite you to find myself or one of the elders after and just let us pray with you. Just let us pray with you to see more of the life after that comma in your life. To see more of Christ's righteousness in your life. Let's pray. Father God, we want to we want to thank you for this gift. But thank you that it is a gift 
gift of exchange that you offer us. You offer to take our dirtied and soiled and stained robes and give us something that cannot blemish, that cannot get torn. God, you've given us something perfect. God, may we remember every day, may we remind ourselves of the gift that you have given us, the gift that you have given us access to. God, we are so grateful for the gift of your Son. Thank you, Lord.